and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and this week on This Song, we'll be hearing from singer, songwriter, and American treasure, John Prine. Before we get started, though, I want to ask that if you dig this podcast, if you listen regularly, or if you just like this episode, well, please share your love with a friend. We'd love to have as many people as possible hear these stories about life-changing music, and you are the best way to get the word out. Tell your other friend who's like super into podcasts, or your dad who loves music, or your sister who's a huge John Prine fan. We want to keep spreading the This Song love, and you are our greatest hope for doing that. Okay, now to John Prine. He's a singer and a songwriter who has been showing people the power and depth of their own love and empathy since he started publicly performing in the late 1960s. He actually didn't plan on becoming a musician. In fact, the story of how he got into music is pretty wild. Like he was living in Chicago, delivering the mail, and on a dare, he got up and played a couple of songs at an open mic, and the club offered him a job like that night. And soon after, he attracted praise from folks like Roger Ebert and Chris Christopherson. And then he had a record deal. His first self-titled release in 1971 brought us songs like Angel from Montgomery, Hello in There, and Sam Stone, many of which he wrote while he was walking around in his pre-music business days, delivering mail. John Prine has worked and toured steadily since his debut. He's released a record every couple or three years. He's written or co-written songs for folks like Tammy Wynette and David Allen Coe. He started his own record label, Oh Boy Records, back in 1981, way before it was cool. He's won Grammys and Lifetime Achievement Awards. And like John Prine, he does not slow down much, or so it seems from the outside. But he did take a break of sorts. He took a break from releasing records where he was the one writing the songs. Looking at his discography, I figure he deserved that break. His latest record, The Tree of Forgiveness, is his first record of original material in 13 years. I got to speak to John Prine for a live taping of this podcast at Waterloo Records in Austin, Texas, which is one of the coolest record stores on the planet. And we had a great time talking. Like, seriously, I almost aired the entire episode uncut because it was so much fun. But I am very proud of this edited version. John Prine started off by telling me about a song he heard as a teenager that really, like opened his mind. Hey, John, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, so everybody came here today to hear you talk about a song that changed your life. And I was telling them earlier, the way I set it up is it's like, there's all the songs in the world, then there's your favorite songs, and then there are those songs that are like these doors that you open and you walk through and nothing is ever the same. So yeah. did you have one of those songs in mind to talk about? Yeah, actually because I, I got you a question yesterday. <laughs> Otherwise I'd be sitting here going, uh. uh I'd have to say uh, in about 19, late 62, early 63, I was watching the Steve Allen shows, which was a talk show there. And Steve Allen was a really good musician too, besides being a comedian. And uh, he had some really good talent on. So he had Bob Dylan on the show, and Bob Dylan sang The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll. Well, I imagine the song tells its own story. 
Here it is. And it, I was just pixelated. It was something about the song just really captured my attention. It had uh, four verses to it, like a story. It was a story like a, it sounded like a newspaper, like a account of, of a murder. William Sansinger killed poor Hattie Carroll With a cane that he twirled round his diamond ring finger At a Baltimore hotel society gathering and the cops were called in and his weapon took from him as they rode him in custody down to the station and booked Williams and Zinger for first degree murder and you who philosophize disgrace and criticize all fears take the rag away from your face now ain't the time for your tears and uh, had a moral to it and I thought that was really cool and the moral was he kept saying don't cry about this until the last verse and he said now is the time for your tears and you who philosophize disgrace and criticize all fears Bury the rig most deep in your face For now's the time for your tears It was only about 10 years ago that William Zanzinger died a natural death, and he's never paid for anything for Hattie Carroll's death. You know, that was crazy. The first time I heard that song was actually when Rhett Miller did this podcast, and he talked about it for, um, he talked about seeing a, a woman named Frank, who was a folk singer, do it. And in my mind, that happened in like 1936, but that actually happened in like 1963, right? Didn't the... It was... Uh, in the early 60s in Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. Years later, I modeled one of my songs on my first record after the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll. It was uh, Donald and uh, Lydia. You know, I just wrote a story and I had, there was a moral to the, to the chorus. But dreaming just comes natural Like the first breath from a baby like sunshine feeding daisy like the love hidden deep in your heart and then years many years later after that bob dylan said that was one of his favorite songs <laughs> so that was pretty cool yeah So you were you were watching the Steve Allen show, and how old were you at the time? Uh, I guess I say, I guess I was fourteen, fourteen or fifteen. 
I always get mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> so right around the time you were starting to learn guitar. I just started, I learned to, how to play the guitar when I was 14. And um, uh, my brother gave me a Carter Family record and an and, uh, Elizabeth Cotton record. And that's how I learned to finger pick. And I learned the Carter Family songs. And I couldn't, I had trouble remembering the lyrics, so I started making up my own lyrics. <laughs> and that's kind of how I got started writing songs. It was easier to remember my own words than it was somebody else's. <laughs> so, so you started writing songs, you're learning how to play guitar, you're writing songs, and some of the, like, the input that you're getting right around this time is this Bob Dylan song. I mean, did that kind of... Well, I, I had a Ramblin' Jack Elliott record, and I really took to... Ramblin' Jack because of his, his half singing, telling a story, and then end up singing at the end. Along about 18 and 25, left Tennessee very much alive. Never would have made it through the Arkansas mud if I had been riding on a Tennessee stud. My brother told me that because uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary had blowing in the wind out. And he said, the guy that wrote Blowing in the Wind sounds like Jack Elliott. And so that's how I bought my first Bob Dylan record, yeah. I mean, how, when you first started playing guitar, was it something that you immediately thought, like, oh, this, this is what I want to do. I want to I play guitar, I want to write songs, or did it? No, that, that always seemed too far away for me. I just did it for my own amusement. And uh, it was my getaway from the world. I'd go to my room and write songs and I wouldn't even sing them for my family. I just kept them to myself. And um, later I got drafted in 66 and when I got out of the army in 67 I started um, writing a lot. And there was another like a watershed moment for me was watching the Johnny Cash show when Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan sang what was it, the girl from the North Country. If you're traveling in the North Country Fair Where the winds in heaven On the borderline Remember me To one who lives there For she once was A true love And I thought, somewhere in between those two, that's where I want to be. <laughs> yeah. So you thought, you thought somewhere between folk and country. I, yeah. could, I could be the love child of Johnny exactly. Cash and Bob Dylan. Exactly. That's, that's when John Prine was born. <laughs> Now these are the early songs that you wrote that you didn't show anyone. Did you have like a, a notebook or did you just keep them in your head? Where did they live? I just live? kept them in my head. Um, the girl I was dating when I was 14, her uh, father was a custodian at a high school and he had access to an old tape recorder. I'm saying that because nobody I knew had a tape recorder. And uh, he took it home and fixed it. And so uh, I took my guitar over there. I had a a $30 electric guitar with a little baby amp like that. And I sang, uh, I wrote a song called Sour Grapes and Frying Pan. 
that ended up on my second record. And I did Twist and Shout, and I knew that I didn't write Twist and Shout. <laughs> so uh, those were on a tape. I wish I could find that tape today. Um, I think yeah. a lot of people wish they could find that tape. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what were the songs that you were writing then early? I mean, did you go, because... They were kind of like Hank Sr., I mean, like his lighter stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, the frying pan was directly from a... Uh, I had a live Hank, Hank Sr. album on MGM that I listened to over and over. My, my father was a huge fan. And... Um, uh, I even memorized the in-between pattern of the songs, you know, so I could do the whole show for my dad. <laughs> and uh, and he had this one in, um, introduction to a song where a guy came home from uh, work and um, his wife had left a, a note in the frying pan because uh, she knew that that's the first place he'd look when he came home. <laughs> And so I took that and made a song out of it, the frying pan. <laughs> so at what point did you th kind of think, like, in, well, I guess that's a, that's a story song. Have you been telling stories since the beginning when you were I writing songs? I guess so, but yeah. I, I didn't know that's what I was doing. I was just, you know, I'd heard enough songs, so I knew how to do it. So I just started making up, like I said, my own words. I always found it easy in school. Uh, I found nothing easy in school, actually. <laughs> Except when they let you have a free hand at writing uh, something and just using your imagination, not having to crack a book open. So whenever they do that, I was home free. I'd get an A, and they thought I'd bought the paper from somebody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it gets me thinking about this line on the new record. You've got a, um, a song called The Lonesome Friends of Science. Right. Which has a line that says... Uh, I think it's like the lonesome friends of science say the world will end most any day, but that's okay because I don't. But if it does, it, it, then that's okay because I, I don't live here anyway. anyway. <laughs> and it says I live down deep inside my head where long ago I made my bed. And I just, I feel like that when I heard that lyric, I felt like, man, I think I, I think I see John Prine. So is that kind of where you've lived for a long time just like deep deep down there you've just got your thing yeah when i wrote that i was just reporting in <laughs> <laughs> for duty <you> know. the <laughs> like best thing john I mean to earth you know? <laughs> <laughs> lonesome friends of science say the world will end most any day well if it does then that's okay because i don't live here anyway I lived down deep inside my head Where long ago I made my bed I get my mail in Tennessee My wife, my dog, and my family Uh-huh so, so songs are like missives from, from inside? Like from deep down in there? Kind of yeah, yeah, pretty much so. I mean, some of them come out so fully formed They scare me you know, like I don't have to make any changes or anything. It's, uh, and then sometimes I won't write for a long time, which I trust. I, I don't think you should write just to write, you know, just to, for an exercise, you know. Um, so I you're just, not one of those writers who, like, I get up every day and I write from oh, 10 in the no. morning to 2 in the <laughs> afternoon. No, I get up every day and I leave the house so it looks like I'm working. <laughs> you know, I go get a hot dog, I go hang out with a buddy and... I go pet a dog, and then I get back in my car and go home and go, what a day I had, you know? See? 
<laughs> Honey, that was hard work out yeah. there. Well, getting back to the Bob Dylan song that you heard, you know, when you were 14, you know, you, you said that you based Donald and, and Lydia on it, but I actually thought of a different song when I heard that that was going to be your song. And I thought of Sam Stone. Um, I thought of humans ain't really, some humans ain't really human. I thought of Caravan of Fools. Because yeah. you're able to write these, I mean, you would never call them a protest song, but they, they are songs that, like, protest the state of the world you know it's not like take down the government it's like look at this well, incredibly for, sad situation you for, know? for me the uh, protest songs kind of are like uh, preaching to the choir you know you just go you just show up and you know everybody there voted the same way and you say here's a song like let's hang the president and everybody goes yay <laughs> you know and uh, that's not gonna last too long you know, it's better if you can sing a song, not so much for the opposition, but for everybody, something that's all-inclusive. So, so the person listening to the song is part of the song. They, they decide uh, what the song's about for them, you know. Yeah. And that way you got a chance of, uh, of crossing over and somebody got to understand what you're, what you're bitching about, you know. <laughs> Sam Stone came home to his wife and family after serving in the conflict overseas. And the time that he served had shattered all his nerves and left a little shrapnel in his knee. But the morphine eased the pain And the grass grew around his brain And gave him all the confidence he lacked With a purple heart and a monkey on his back There's a hole in daddy's arm Where all the money goes Died for nothing, I suppose. Roger Ebert really early on wrote a review of you playing a show, and he talked about how much empathy you had as a young man. And that, I mean, it feels like that's kind of what you're talking about, which is writing songs I guess so. that you know, are I, empathetic and induce empathy in people. Well, I just, I mean, I always figured that I was pretty normal, you know. I did. I just always felt, I thought everybody was the same way. I guess it's just the way I was raised, you know. My mother and father raised me to, to uh, have empathy for other people and like uh, kind of look into it a little bit more, you know, when you saw something that bothered you, or, you know. And uh, it's just the way I was. I liked old people, so I wrote that song, Hello In There. My grandparents were really close to me and, and I always just, uh, when I'd walk into a room as a little kid, Older people would just grab me and pick me up, and they'd borrow me for the day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of getting older, you do have a song about going to heaven on this new song. Yeah. When I get to heaven, I'm going to shake God's hand, thank him for more blessings than one man can stand. Then I'm going to get a guitar and start a rock and roll band.
check into a swell hotel. Ain't the afterlife grand? It was pretty easy to write, too. Yeah? Yeah, it actually came out of a... I had uh, uh, this neck cancer about uh, around 1996, and the night before I had my surgery, the doctor said to me, um, the one who was going to do the surgery, he said, he said, I can't tell you that uh, your history of cigarette smoking has caused this cancer. He said, but wouldn't it be a good time to quit? And I said, yeah, you're right. So I quit then, and I have never quit thinking about cigarettes. When, I mean, I love a cigarette. When I see somebody standing outside a restaurant firing up, I ran over and stand behind them so I can get that first whiff, you know. And I'm figuring, so well, where in the hell can I have a cigarette? And I thought, well, I'm not going to have one until I get to heaven. There couldn't be any no smoking signs up there. I mean, that wouldn't be right, you know. And uh, also, I could have my favorite cocktail, vodka and ginger ale. And so it all just rhymed. It was my little secret uh, happy hour song is what it was. You know, I, was, I would look at my watch like I'd be actually working that day, and I'd go, and I'd go, uh-oh, it's just about time for a cocktail, vodka and ginger ale. <laughs> and I had to turn that into when I get to heaven. So I already had the song written in my head, you know. And then I'm going to get a cocktail, vodka, and ginger ale. Yeah, I'm going to smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long. I'm going to kiss that pretty girl on the tilt of the world. Because this old man is going to town. But I figure, I mean, if heaven is a bunch of people in white robes, singing mediocre songs. I'm going to need a drink when I get there. You know? <laughs> like I said, The Tree of Forgiveness is John Prine's first record of original material in 13 years. And there are a fair amount of co-writes on the record. He wrote with Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys and his old songwriting partner, Pat McLaughlin. He's even got a co-write with Phil Spector on there. And I wondered, what was with all the co-writes? I think the reason I'm co-writing more these days is, is like it's more and more difficult for me to make myself go and write by myself. I'd do anything to get out of it. <laughs> it used to be my hobby, and now it's my job. And when something's my job, I go the opposite way. You know? <laughs> and, and my wife, Fiona, and our son, Jody, who runs Old Boy Records, they kind of knew I was dragging my foot with writing. So they got me a suite at the Omni in Nashville and locked me in there for a week with 10 boxes of my unfinished lyrics and three guitars and a, and a ukulele. And I came out a week later with 10 songs. So they must have known something I didn't. You know? <laughs> was it a fun process to be locked in a hotel for a week or was it an excruciating yeah. process? How did that go? Well, it started out excruciating and by the time I got through, I'd come out with When I Get to Heaven, Lonesome Friends of Science, uh, I fixed up these old songs like Boundless Love and and uh, one with Phil Spector and that's, that song had been bothering me for 35 years. We started it in 1978. That, is that God Only Knows? God Only Knows and I couldn't figure out how to finish it. It was, it was real simple. I just had to stand far enough away from the song to look at it. You know? God Only Knows The price that you pay for the ones you hurt along the way. 
if I should betray myself today, and God only knows the price I pay. How did you know that that was, I mean, how do you know when a song that you've been waiting on to finish for, how do you know when it's done? Because it sounded like it was finished <laughs> when I finally did it, you know. Um, and like, I had picked it up other times and tried to force it into, into the finishing. It didn't want to, it didn't want to. So for you, it's really, it, it's really about letting it come out, whatever it is, letting it flow out, not kind of. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain it. amount of, of craft with any writer, you know, but um, but there's for me, there's got to be a part that just kind of is really waiting to get out of you, you know. It's you, you got to trust yourself, and I know when that comes along, because when I say something like that or write something, it seems to ring so true to me. That's because it's something that's a part of me, you know, and. When you write a lyric like that, it's easier to remember too. You know? <laughs> if you got a song that's hard to remember, uh, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't have wrote it so fast. You know? <laughs> Is there a feeling you get other than a knowing? Is there like a, like can you feel it in your body? Can you? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just you know the bell rings, everything is right. You know? So you are influenced by a Dylan song, and then Bob Dylan hears your song, and it's one of his favorite songs. What does that even feel like? Pretty darn good. <laughs> I tell you, anytime Bob Dylan, if you're a songwriter and Bob Dylan says he liked your songwriting, that's a pretty good day. Have you ever hung out with Bob Dylan? A couple of times, you know, just uh, by accident, you know. Yeah. Last time I saw him, we we're sitting adjacent to each other in an Italian restaurant. We turned our heads at the same time and looked at each other. That, that was it. So we took <laughs> off from there. You know. Right on. The chance meeting with Bob Dylan. I'm telling you. Yeah, I must be hanging out in the right restaurants. <laughs> I think you might be a lucky man, John Prine. Uh, I, I, I believe I am. How about it for John Prine? <laughs> All right. I ain't got nobody. Hang around my doorstep Ain't got no loose chain Just a hang around my jeans If you see somebody Would you send them over my way I could use some help here With a can of pork and beans I want that And this is knocking on your screen door from John Prine's latest record, The Tree of Forgiveness. We've been playing it lots here at KTX, the radio station in Austin, Texas, where we make this podcast. And this interview was so fun because John Prine is the best. And if you want to hear the full interview, we actually do have it. It's on the KTX Facebook page. We Facebook lived the whole thing. I'll post a link to that on the show notes page for this episode at KUTX.org. And I'll also post a link there to the record, to Tree of Forgiveness, so you can listen to it. And John Prine, he is on tour. And if you live in Austin, he'll be at the Paramount Theater on June 30th. If you live in other places, well, he's probably coming someplace near you. You should check out his tour dates. They'll be on the show notes page as well. 
And as always, we'll have a Spotify playlist there so you can hear all the songs we referenced all the way through. And that's it. You have come to the end of another episode of this song. This song is a production of 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen, with help from Peter Babb. Kelly Seal is our excellent intern, and thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And yes, it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Thank you.